welcome to ABC Gotham, your New York City amateur history podcast. I am your host, Kathleen. With me today is Kate. Hey, everyone. And our letter today is R. The letter R. What is our topic today, Kate? Well, it's going to be pretty dark, like I promised. I'm really sorry this podcast is late, but with the storm and everything, we kind of got knocked back a bit. I had hoped to do this really dark episode right around Halloween, so maybe you guys can just go back in time and pretend it's Halloween-y. Yes. Today we're going to do riots, so we're going to cover cover several large riots in New York, kind of through the ages. A couple of the major ones. Really, I mean... Less spooky than, like, really bleak and sad. And, bleak and, and sad, but uh, dark. Violent and, and, you know, bad that situations have gotten to the point that a riot was necessary, if a riot can ever be considered necessary. And, and yeah, I mean, it's more the, the dark side of ABC Gotham. I, we we kind of like to focus on that stuff, but that's what history is, you know? War yeah. and death and famine and, and disease. That's That's what makes history, right? Yeah, take the good with the bad, you know. I think that's like the everyday motto if you live in New York. You know, you take the good, the, you know, amazing pistachio muffin around the corner from you, and <laughs> the bad, the homeless guy that just peed on your doorstep, you know. Uh, the smell of the subway. A little yeah. of both. Well, yep. let's let's just delve right into it. The three that we've got for you today are the one which we covered a bit in a previous podcast, uh, our Five Points episode, the uh, Draft Riots of 1863. We're right. also going to cover the Stonewall Riot, come a little for, forward in time and cover the Stonewall Riots, and then we're going to go over the Crown Heights Riots as well. So, really a little Three slice of... Three of the big of- ones. And there are plenty of other riots, of course, in New York State history, but we wanted to do these particular three, which are all really interesting in their own ways. I think so, yeah. They... um really kind of changed a lot of the nas- uh, what was going on nationally, each riot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they definitely become nationwide news each time. All right. Well, let's jump in with the draft riots. So these are, uh, this was in 1863. These are three days long, July 13 to July 16, I guess four days long, uh, in 1863. And this was right after Congress passed laws to draft men to fight in the Civil War. Right. So we're losing, a, the Union is losing a lot of people. And at this time, Gettys, the battle at Gettysburg had just happened, which had such a huge loss of life. Yeah. Nobody, nobody really wanted to sign up. And can you blame them? You know, it's a very, yeah, very you, bloody. This is why there are drafts. <laughs> yeah, it's a very bloody war. Uh, tons of casualties. People come back, you know, missing limbs. People don't come back at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they pass it, which it does have a little bit of a a way out if you've got money, though. So mm-hmm. Congress says that if you can pay $300, then you can avoid the draft, and essentially you're paying for a substitute to go to war for you, which has kind of right. been done for a long time. You know, wealthy men... Mm-hmm. having someone go to war for them so that you still have, you know, your name and everything as having all this honor and supporting the war, uh-huh. but not actually having to go and fight. This affects... I mean, even in Vietnam, we, people were able to defer the draft if exactly. they were students. And yeah. then a lot of people are like, this is only for rich people then. Yeah, exactly. The This, of course, means anyone who can't afford to go has no way of getting out because $300 at the time is all the money in the world. Yeah, I actually looked it up. There's a great website that'll convert money from 
the oh. history to to current. That's five thousand five hundred dollars. Yeah, I don't know if I could come up with five thousand dollars to get it. Like, I don't know if I could. I don't yeah. think I could come up with that much money. I mean, I guess if it meant I, I wouldn't have to go to war, I I could try to find a way, but I just don't have five thousand dollars to get out of war. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And and we are relatively educated, working class, middle class people. I mean, that's a lot of money. And mm-hmm. forget it. Yeah, especially if you're just straight out poor. You know, well, if you're a newly arrived immigrant, if you're working class, if you're supporting a family, you don't have 5500 bucks on hand. Well, it's a good thing because you wouldn't have had to go to war as a woman, Kathleen, and neither would I. Also, yeah. essentially the only people who were able to be in the draft were white men. And this, of course, included all, and I, I'm, I know it's going to sound like I'm stereotyping, but the majority of the rioters were Irish working class people. And this kind of goes back to Tammany Hall, which keeps coming up. We're going to have to cover them at some point. Oh, we will. But Tammany Hall starts to enroll a lot of new citizens, like new people right. just off the boat to become citizens so that they can vote for Tammany Hall exactly. in local but elections. They're instantly citizens. Exactly. The white immigrants in uh, New York at the time were primarily Irish and German. German were a little trickier because they still had to learn English. Mm-hmm. Irish arrived speaking English, so Tammany grabbed them. They grab them up and they're like, hey, be a citizen. You know, you're American now, but you've got to mm-hmm. fight in the war. So then you suddenly have this huge influx of Irish citizens, new, newly American citizens that are Irish. Mm-hmm. And they're all Cannon suddenly fodder. in the draft. So you can imagine when they actually go to pull these names, the majority of the, a lot of the names that are pulled are from this Irish working class, you know, background. They can't get out of the draft and everyone is really angry about it. And they're understandably angry. Initially, they were really mad at the wealthy people, as right. they should have been, because you know, the wealthy people could buy their way out. And that was initially the the focus of the anger, which was totally understandable. I'd have been pissed too. Right. Um, however, they're not the only, the you know, the wealthy Republicans who were able to get out of the draft, you know, the merchant, the merchants, business owners, upper class, they were the initial people that the people whose names were pulled were angry at. But there's a little twist, sad twist to this in that the other people who are not able eligible for the draft are African-Americans. And mm-hmm. So the, freed blacks were not considered citizens. Exactly. So they were excluded from the draft. So this, you know, as mad as the, as the uh, working class white people were mad at the wealthy people, this quickly turned into a really ugly race riot. In the end, that's exactly what it was. That really turns away from the people who could avoid the draft and just becomes an all-out citywide race riot. Right. Extremely violent. Which is exactly what the rich people want. They want the poor people fighting among themselves Mm -hmm. so that they can't look up and see who's really shitting on them. Uh Uh-oh, I think we don't... I think we're going to have an explicit rating on iTunes now. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, uh, yeah, you, you have, you have all these, I mean, the big immigrant population, especially in Five Points and in the city are Irish immigrants. We talked about this before, mm-hmm. about the huge mm-hmm. influx of people coming in. Although I gotta speak up at this point just very quickly because I think this is something that wasn't clear, um, is that 
the people in Five Points did oh, not yeah. participate in this riot. And this is one of the things that historians picked on Scorsese for because that's the very end of Gangs of New York is, is them rioting, of course. Scorsese was not trying to make a documentary, so back off. But for whatever reason, the people in the Sixth Ward, Bloody Sixth, refrained from rioting. I've actually got some good stories. I've got some good stories about that that I'd like, we'll get to. Um, uh, some, some stories that are like, yeah, five points for once you pulled it together. So we'd like to apologize for kind of saying that five points and for Martin Scorsese saying that five points was involved in the riots when he was. Right. We're going to just blame Scorsese for this. We'll blame Scorsese. Um, so I mean, the Irish were generally afraid of anybody coming in to take these low wage jobs to be part, to, you know, at some point they were the only people going for these jobs. And then suddenly when you have all these black, you know, these black people moving in, the, the free black slaves coming into the city or people who just, you know, African Americans who had just been here forever, they were terrified these people exactly. were going to take their jobs. And with a whole That's new population it. moving into the city, the Irish were worried that there was going to be more competition and less work. Right. There was already enough competition for the dock work jobs, the hack driver jobs, the craftsman jobs. There was already a lot of competition for these relatively low-paying, low-wage, um, low-skilled jobs among the Irish-Americans and the free blacks. And the way they saw it is they would go off to fight and die for the African-Americans, and then there'd be all these freed slaves coming up to New York, and there'd be even more competition, assuming... The Irish Americans even made it back alive. So right. this this all sort of compounded upon itself. Well, let's just kind of get into the first day. The first drawing is on July 11th, 1863. It's very peaceful. There's no rioting. People just kind of mm-hmm. accept it. The thing is they do this on a Saturday. There's all day Sunday, and then they do the next drawing on Monday. All day Sunday, you have all these people meeting in bars and taverns ah. and pubs and kind of starting to realize they got the raw, the raw end of the stick, the bad end of the stick. Uh-huh. How does that saying go? The short end of the, the stick. short end of the stick. My English <laughs> is not so good. Um, and that's when July 13th dawns, the people like come together to go hear the names again, but they are not happy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, this is 10 days after Gettysburg. Exactly. That they did the, the next round of the draft and this crowd shows up. Uh, this is actually 3rd Avenue and 47th Street, which is about a block from where the UN is today, but this was at the 9th District Provost Marshal's office. They were there when yeah. the drawing happened, and they weren't happy. Yeah, you have workers from the rail yards, so you have them kind of come, people coming from all over, and they walked up. So you have workers from the rail yards, the machine shops, the shipyards, the iron foundries, you know, all the longshoremen, they're all kind of coming uptown to hear the names being drawn. And uh, I have the numbers at being around 500 people crowded around to hear mm-hmm. this these names. But they kind of going up knew this was going to go bad because on their way up, right. they're already cutting the telegraph wires <sighs> heading uptown. Because they don't want word to get out. No. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Which is interesting. Why do you think, did they not want word to get out because they didn't want people to come and help and quell the riot while it was still small? Or they wanted to take people by surprise? I wondered about that. Like, wouldn't they want this news of their riot 
to get out at some point? I figured they didn't want it to be stopped right away. Yeah, and maybe yeah. also they were thinking, because these names were telegraphed out, maybe they were also thinking, well, then the names just won't get out. If they don't get out. Uh, yeah, yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. So they start to, the rioters start to, it gets it gets bad really early. They start throwing stones. Yeah. They catch the building They're- on fire. Big, big paving stones. They yeah, dug not them out just of the like, ground and hauled them through the windows. Yeah, they were exactly. not messing around. They let you know real quick that they weren't happy with this. Now, they catch the building on fire, and the Black Choke Engine Company, number 33, is actually there, but they're made up of largely Irish, so they're not. They're actually in on the riot. Like, they're actually They're really helping. not into... <laughs> yeah, so they're, they're not actually going to stop any fires that happen. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but when then, the firefighters arrived, I know that the the rioters uh, were smashing the the vehicles. This is this is all, I guess, horse and buggy back then. The engine they were they smashed that. They killed streetcar horses. They smashed streetcars, and of course, cut the telegraph lines. Right. It's it's just kind of chaos all around. The New York City police do show up to try to break the riot, but they're mm-hmm. outnumbered. I mean, I heard it was like fifth. Uh, some numbers I read was. 50 cop, 50 riders to one cop. So they're just, it's, when they first show up, they're just so outnumbered. There's really nothing they can do. That's it. There was a state militia, but they couldn't send them to quell the riots because the militia was helping over in Gettysburg. The exactly. only ones around were the cops. And not only were the cops overpowered, but they even attacked the superintendent of police. The rioters recognized him and came after him. And he was pretty savagely beaten. He wasn't killed, but he was in really bad shape. It's bad. Uh, and the cops even had, you know, billy clubs, even had revolvers and nothing. The, nothing. They were totally overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah, they actually, so the riot doesn't stay there. It moves. Like, it. Mm-hmm. once they wreck that building, they just kind of keep going. They right. the And as they go, they pick up more and more people. They actually go to attack the New York, this is my favorite, they go to attack the New York Times building, which mm-hmm. is where the paper that was publishing the names of the people who uh. had been drafted. So they go to attack the New York Times building, but they're actually turned back by staff who are operating Gatling guns. <laughs> I love That's the idea crazy. of like New York Times people like sitting in the windows with these big guns. They save the, they save the New York Times, which wasn't, of course, where it is now. But they went after the they attacked and burned the mayor's house. They uh, burned down the 8th and 5th District Police Station, uh, something called the Bull's Head Hotel, which is on 44th Street. They attacked the armory. That's uh, That was was at 2nd Avenue and 21st Street. That's a block from where Sivenson Town is today. Um, and, of course, they attacked a lot of black people. Right. This is where the mob turns really bad they start just like any black person they saw on the street they start they see as a cause of the war and Mm -hmm. the per the person this one person is taking all of our jobs so we're gonna go for this person there's lynchings everywhere um one man was attacked by a mob of 400 with clubs and stones lynched and then set on fire this is really awful. Another really terrible, I think one of the most famous uh, parts of this riot is the Colored Orphans Asylum at 44th Street mm-hmm. and 5th Avenue. It's home to 233 kids. They attack it, 
loot it for food and supplies and burn it down. Um, the kids are actually saved. Yes, the kids were I, not. <laughs> they, they spared the children. They led, the children were led to safety. It doesn't say by who, but then they burned down the building after looting it of food and supplies. So, I mean, thanks, but now there's no food or shelter. So, yeah, the uh, asylum is moved uptown um, to modern day Harlem and, mm. But it's, it's a devastating loss for them. Over the day, this one, this is still one day, by the way, don't forget. We're going to kind of let you know as each yeah, day happens. All, all, this is all a Monday. Another place that is, so this is the day where there's definitely race riots going on, but there's definitely uh, attacks against businesses and wealthy mm-hmm. Republicans. So a lot of people are fleeing, uh, but Brooks Brothers was actually attacked because they I, th- I believe they actually made the officers uniforms for that sounds right yeah the union for the war. and mm-hmm. it was uh completely devastated people go in they loot they riot thousands of dollars at the time I believe it's for over four thousand dollars was between all the damage and the all the stuff that was just kind of like stolen. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Brooks Brothers is pretty devastated. Obviously, they rebuild, but this is wow. kind of what's going on at the time. The mobs yeah. on this day killed 100 black people, destroyed homes, businesses. This is kind of all in the Midtown area today, so it's a little centralized today. Yeah. But on the docks... I remember that was an important point, is that the police did manage to keep the riot from going to Lower Manhattan. So uh, everything everything is south of Union Square. They managed to keep rioting clear. Right. Though on the East River, the longshoremen do destroy... This is kind of when it's... You see the beginnings of it spreading. The longshoremen destroy anything that catered to mixing races, you know, any brothels mm-hmm. that accepted black patrons or uh, bars. businesses, bars. Yeah. Uh, they also, any of the business owners that catered uh, to black patrons, they would strip mm-hmm. all their clothes off and beat them in the streets. Wow. Wow. So now we're going to head into... all in one day. They set fire to all these things. They burned so many things to the ground all in that one Monday. So overnight, we're going to head into day two. Overnight, it rains, but and it kind of rains into the next day, but the rain does not stop the riots. It, oh, it does help stop the fires, though. It does stop the fires. Um, by the way, something that else that fuels this uh, riot is it's hot. It's really hot. Ah, I don't know how many of our listeners are from New York. It seems like a lot of you either are from here or lived here or have been here, but it's hot. July, middle of July in New York is hot. And this is Mm -hmm. way before air conditioning is dreamed of. So the heat is something that really fuels the anger of this riot as well. I think our listeners will find a common theme in all of the riots we're discussing today. (laughs) That is, that is freaking hot out. Yeah, all of these riots happen in the summer, so in Mm -hmm. very hot weather. So, yeah. Um. So, day two, the rioters get a little smart. They actually take a lot of the debris from the debris from the day before and start to seal off their neighborhoods with barricades. Huh. Uh, so they really, it's harder to, to get the to them. Rioters out or to keep the cops out? To keep the cops out. 
Okay. Okay. So they can keep rioting. Yeah. So they can just kind of right. keep going. Um, right. This is a day where they finally bring in some troops from from <sighs> West Point. Mm-hmm. And they finally start to be like, you know what? We could actually use the militia. That martial yeah. law is never put into. I think until the very, very end. Martial law is they. New York City keeps thinking we've got this. We can control yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. And also, there just weren't the militia. I mean, anyone who could fight was off fighting the war. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. Day and two. Tuesday. This is the day that the governor arrives to the city and he tries to assuage the crowds by declaring the draft unconstitutional. You think that works? No. (laughs) No! No. At this point, you've got blacks are just fleeing the city. Um, Mm -hmm. There's one man, Jeremiah Robinson. He actually dressed, he wears his wife's clothes to try Mm -hmm. to get out of the city because women... I guess are having a slightly easier time getting out of the city. Not mm-hmm. everywhere. They're still definitely attacking women as well. But he's sure. discovered and beaten to death and thrown in the East River. Um, at, at this point, yeah, we're going to keep going into a little bit more of day two, but today it's, it's still a riot, but it's really an all-out assault on the Republican elite and blacks. This is the day that Brooks Brothers was looted, ah, and it's it's fifty thousand dollars worth of clothing stolen or destroyed. Wow! But fifty thousand dollars, if you can imagine that three hundred dollars is fifty five hundred dollars today, just imagine how yeah. much money fifty thousand dollars is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Probably in the millions. It's amazing. Uh, Tammany Hall starts to really get involved now. Tammany Hall and the Democrats see the riots as a working class political protest. Hmm. Which doesn't really die. <laughs> Republicans, who are largely the businessmen, the merchants, journalists, politicians, the targets uh-huh. essentially for the riot, are right. begging for a federal response. It's like, it's just a riot. We just need to quell yeah. this any way we can. Yeah, yeah. So the mayor and the secretary of war, Edward Stanton, uh, both beg for federal troops, which we talked about before. But like I said, they're not declaring federal martial law because they feel like they'd have to turn the city over to the federal government and they really don't want to do that. Republicans and Democrats are both trying to work out a local solution. So Mm -hmm. what the solution Tammany Hall comes up with is it tries to raise $2.5 million to cover exemption fees for the men who had been drawn in the draft. Huh. Yeah. Did that work? (laughs) No. All right. That's a lot of money. They do actually raise a lot of the money, though. Uh, Uh The Democrats believe if the draft is enforced, this is kind of the thinking of what's going on politically behind the riot. Like, all the time, this I just imagine the riots happening out of the windows and the politicians are kind of sitting around arguing in the inside. Right. Right. So the Democrats believe that New York's credibility is damaged if the draft is enforced. Uh, but if not, if the draft is, if the draft is not enforced, then the credibility of the Lincoln administration in the rest of the country is, goes downhill. So it's either the state, it's either the city or the country, you know, and a lot of stuff really gets mixed up into this, into this riot. It's yeah, pretty, yeah. it's pretty amazing. The police and the army forces that have come in, um, successfully limit the riots to within the barricaded 
areas. areas. So they're largely the working class neighborhoods, the industrial areas on the west and east sides. Okay. So the money that I was just saying that Tammany Hall had saved as relief money starts to be Mm -hmm. called conscription exemption bonds. So essentially it's a loan to get you out of having to do the having to go to war. So after there's a 7% interest tacked on (laughs) and it just makes things worse. People after they, after they put this out there, like we'll give you a loan, you got to pay it back. But riots Mm -hmm. actually spread to Brooklyn and Staten Island after this. Uh (laughs) It backfired. Federal orders finally start saying we're going to delay a bit, Uh, but let's Uh go into, this is kind of all day two. So now we're going to go into, Day three. Kathleen? Something amazing happened on day three. They suspended the draft and it worked. So tons of rioters stayed home. Not all of them, but a lot of them did. The draft was suspended. We're done. There were still some remaining mobs and the militias who arrived were happy to use harsh measures against them. Right. Rioting worked. It worked. I can't believe it. It shouldn't have. It did work. It's a bad method to use, but it did. It worked. Now, day three, there still are some terrible things going on in the city. A few people who are lost. You have Joseph Reed, who is a seven-year-old. He flees when his apartment is caught on fire and is separated from his mother and grandmother and beaten to death in the streets. Oh, my God. You have Abraham Franklin, a disabled coachman, and his sister Henrietta, who are pulled out of their boarding house. She's beaten (sighs) while he's hanged. (gasps) Soldiers, these militia that we're talking about who come in, cut down his body, but he's hung up again before his body is cut down one more time and dragged through the streets by his genitals by a 16-year-old Irish butcherman, Patrick Butler. So you saw bad stuff going, but you can see that the militia is is just trying to get a hold of what's going on. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. But... I mean, it does, day three does, by the end of the day, it does really calm down. By the time day four starts, uh, mm. the governor, I mean, there's still a few riots going on here and there. Mm-hmm. The governor begs the archbishop to, Archbishop John Hughes to step in, and he actually has people, begs the people to come to him, and he kind of speaks out about what's going on with the riots, which everybody comes. It's a peaceful... Mm-hmm. Yeah, a peaceful rally at Old St. Patrick's Cathedral. 5,000 people. That's yeah. freaking huge. That's huge, huge. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I promised you we'd go into a bit of what happened at Five Points. Mm-hmm. And so some... I mean, I know we talked about, and you've, as we said, the movie kind of points out there being these terrible draft riots. There definitely have been riots in Five Points, and it was a very, not a great neighborhood. But Hart's Alley, which is really, really terrible. I think that's the very famous picture that you see of Five Points that I think we posted on our Facebook page, and I think mm-hmm. you can find it on our abcgotham.podbean.com, where you have all the people in the alley kind of like staring at the camera. That's Hart's Alley. It's really the worst part of Five Points. It's Mm -hmm. a dead end, and there are lots of black and white residents living. I mean, as we talked about before, Mm -hmm. this is a really mixed neighborhood. So you have the rioters coming down this alley, you know, looting and 
throwing bricks and mm -hmm. the residents all at one, you know, everybody in, I guess they got together and did this together, all pour hot starch out their windows onto the rioters. Ah. Oh my God. Um, there's hot another starch. case. Hot starch. I know. That's so funny. <laughs> this is the one neighborhood that mobs neither attacked brothels or killed black people within its borders. So it's kind of a safe zone. There's a black drugstore owner, Philip White. Uh, his drugstore was at the corner of Gold and Frankfurt. And he was actually threatened by the mob. They came in, but his Irish neighbors came in and chased the rioters away. Wow. Um, apparently, he wow. actually gave credit to the people in the neighborhood, so he made it so people could afford to come to his store. I feel like if you could get to five points, you could be safe, which is something I would uh, never thought I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I did read about that, and I believe that was the first uh, pharmacy owned by uh, an African-American. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So, uh, as Kathleen said, you have all the 4,000 troops show up. Uh, they they pretty much lose. Like, you can't... This mob, this mob mentality cannot go up against a trained army. So, everything calms down on day four. Yeah, it's great. I read that the state militia is finally gets there. The federal troops return to New York. Here's the neat thing about the federal troops. This included troops from Indiana, Maryland, and Michigan. Uh, that was after a forced march. So this is rough conditions for these poor troops. By the they end just... of Thursday, there were several thousand troops. They had ordered, you know, restored order for the most part. I just got to give a shout out to Maryland. Yeah. Where your, your troops just seem to show up and kick ass wherever you go. So Maryland, I believe, I don't know what it is, but <clears throat> it, maybe they eat all that old bay or something, but that is where the warriors <laughs> in this country seem to come from because they were really important in the revolution and really important with our, you know, little hometown skirmish here when there was a bigger war going on to worry about. So I do want to say thanks, Maryland, for your soldiers. Yeah, you guys rock. Mm. Um, I think our friends from Maryland will be happy to hear us say that. I hope so. Uh, yeah, I mean, these poor troops are actually, a lot of these troops are coming back from Gettysburg, this awful battle, and I just can't imagine them, I imagine them showing up in the city and being like, really guys, seriously? <laughs> yeah, I just, I just imagine them being like, you guys suck. Um, <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> so, the official death toll is put at 119. But then I've heard reports as far as a thousand. Uh, really, the damage done to the city varies so much in the official mm -hmm. reports to what people mm -hmm. say. The research I found, at least 120 died and at least 2,000 injured. And of course, 50 buildings burned to the ground. When the draft resumes in August, they're prepared. Isn't that funny? Yeah. The draft resumes. It resumes. And there are 10 thousand troops stationed in the city for when the draft resumes and nothing happens <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there is no problems at all it's ridiculous right. so uh it's completed in 10 days there were no incidents now fewer men were drafted than it had been feared i think this was yes. like your yeah. number if you get drawn then you might get sent to war and you and you might not and a it turned out a lot of them were not sent to war. It was still plenty. It was still yes. quite a few, but it's ridiculous. And after this, I mean, like Kate was saying, a lot of blacks are fleeing the city. A lot of them were driven out by their landlords, right. which is 
shitty, but the landlords were thinking that our building would get attacked, and that's what they had in mind. They allotted some the left of the own accord, of course. The white elite in New York were then helping out the ones who stayed. Once the riots were over, they were trying to help them rebuild. They gave them money, they helped them find new work and homes, but by 1865, the black population dropped to under 10,000, which was the lowest it had been since 1820. Right. After these riots, yeah, African Americans were like, no, thank you. Yeah, they moved to kind of the outskirts. They moved further north. You start to have populations up in modern-day Harlem. They moved to Brooklyn. They just do whatever they can to get out. And Brooklyn was a separate city at the time, of course. So, Now, this riot really cements Tammany's control of the city. They actually had fought against the Republican business owners and kind of won. Like, they were able to keep the militia out as long and keep it a local problem as long as they could. Mm-hmm. And plus these Republican business, these, I mean, I keep saying Republican, but really that's kind of who was running a lot of the businesses. Mm-hmm. These are the people who are largely affected by the riot, uh, the riots, uh, and the, the Republicans really lose control of the city after this, and Tammany becomes the power to deal with in the city. Amazing. We should do a podcast about Tammany Hall. You know, I think we have a letter T coming up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll have to, well, you guys will have to stay tuned. Yes. All right. Well, are you ready to head into our next riot? Yeah, that is everything I have on the on the race riots of the, the draft in, what is it, 1864. So, yeah. What's next, Kate? So, let's, um, let's head up to the Stonewall Riots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In which, of course, happens in 1969, so we're definitely taking a trip forward in time. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to give you a little background on kind of gay rights for people who are not too familiar with what led up to the Stonewall Riots. Now, Kathleen, imagine in the 50s and 60s, as a gay person, you're not openly welcome anywhere. Your fam, if your family found out, your, I mean, it still happens today. Your family probably disowns you if they don't lock you in a mental institution. Uh, so you don't have a, a community. Space. There's no community, you don't right? Have it exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, like Metachine and a lot of the, the gay rights, especially a lot of the publications that started to come out come out post Stonewall. So a lot of like the gay rights movement really blossoms after Stonewall because it's the first okay. time that queer people fought back. Mm-hmm. And what's what's Medicine again for our listeners? So the Medicine Society is founded, it's actually founded in 1950, but it becomes really big, kind of post Stonewall. It's um, the earliest homophile organization. It's uh, this, there's also the Chicago Society for Human Rights. They really, it's a public, it's a publication where I mean, imagine you live in the middle of nowhere. I mean, well, imagine you're coming out as gay. You feel like you're alone, but you could find this, like, magazine uh, Mm -hmm. and feel like you're not alone. It's a lot about the civil and political rights for homosexual men. I mean, this is really more uh, the men's side of coming out. At the point, you really have a lot of um, gender uh, distancing. You know, you have... Mm-hmm. The the lesbians ha- really have their thing going on. Gay men have their thing going on. Transgender, you don't have the LBGTQ society at the time. Right. You really just right. have your own individual thing and hope you survive. 
Mm-hmm. So, so Medicine was a society founded to publish information about this and exactly letting people right. know and that it was what that you they're not this- the only one. Yeah, exactly. Um, assuming they could get, assuming you could get it. Yeah. Um, a lot of uh, the post office actually, at the time, kept track of in New York at least kept track of where. Um, you know, anything that went through the mail that was gay, um, mm-hmm. they kept track of what addresses it went to. Oh so my God. they were actually keeping track of where all the queer people were living in the city. The <sighs> FBI, of course, is keeping a list of any known homosexuals, their establishment and friends. Huh? Uh, oh, this is it. Yeah, the post office keeps track of addresses where homosexual materials were sent. Which, how do they know? Are they opening the envelopes? <laughs> it's a little creepy. Um, this is kind well, of. The- or they knew the return addresses, or they were Yeah, envelopes. there's probably a yeah. list of return addresses. This is, yeah. you know, during the McCarthy era, gays were seen as um, un-American and subversive and security risks. So this is kind of coming out of, of Why would of that, that even be a... Th- how is that even logical? How do you twist that? How? Subversive? I, Anti-American? Uh, I'm not a McCarthy era. <laughs> I know, but I'm just trying. <laughs> I know it makes that? it makes it makes absolutely no sense. They were riding on the people's fear of homosexuals and lumping them all together, which is something people yes, ex- still do today. But that's so <laughs> ridiculous to me. Well, How at do you the time, justify that. Yeah, at the time, the DSM, which Kathleen, what's the DSM? It's the Diagnostics and Statistics Manual that psychiatrists and psychologists use to diagnose patients. Right. So the DSM classifies until 1973 gay homosexuality as a sociopathic personality disturbance. Yep. They did. They say that it's a pathological hidden fear of the opposite sex caused by a traumatic parent-child relationship. (sighs) No? Mom's fault, as usual. I think I had a good relationship with my mom. <laughs> yep. Well, what happened, Kate? What happened? I I, I don't know. It all fell apart yeah. when I moved to New York. <laughs> so, uh, at the time, let's see, gay bars, which there were a few, uh, they were routinely shut down. And when they were shut down, your picture was in the paper. And then, of course, your mom and dad would see your picture and... Or you could you could actually be fired. Kids, exactly, exactly. So one of the few places in the city where you could go that was, I mean, people would come from state. They'd probably come from Maryland. They'd come from states away to go to Stonewall. (laughs) It's a dive. It's a really dirty dive. Yeah, it's mafia owned, uh, as a lot of bars were, because the mafia would pay the cops. And then the cops would let them know when they were going to raid it. So they had Mm -hmm. cues so that it was never a surprise they were being raided. Because when they were raided, all the alcohol... Because they didn't have a liquor license. The alcohol would Uh. all be taken. So they would warn the patrons... Because they... The patrons paid to come into the bar. The patrons Mm -hmm. would be warned by the mafia before the cops came. They would flicker the lights as a signal to say, hey, stop, because this was a bar you could actually dance in. They'd be like, Mm -hmm. hey, stop dancing, stop touching each other. Mm -hmm. The cops are coming. Would they, like, flee out the back door, or they just behave yourselves for a while? They they just would kind of get a warning. Some, maybe some would be arrested, but it wouldn't be like an all-out bust, you know, because this wouldn't, it wouldn't... People wouldn't be doing illegal activities, apparently. Yeah. They really had a neat little setup in terms of the 
bars bribing the cops who were mm-hmm. run by the, the the mafia bribing the cops and then they would get a tip off and then that's the way the bars could function and the bars would pay to the mafia and it you know it's all criminal and it all helped the gay community in an indirect yeah. sort of way mm-hmm. <laughs> well the people who patronize stonewall uh Generally, because like I said, it's a dive bar. Um, mm. It's it's known to be popular with the poorest and most marginalized in the mm. gay community. So you have a lot of drag queens, effeminate mm. young men, hustlers, homeless youth that were living in the park in Sheridan Park just across the street. Wow. Uh, like I said, it was dirty. There's no fire exits. Hope there's not a fire. There's no running water behind the bar. So when you finished your glass, they essentially would like dunk it in this like tub of water. And that would be like the cleaning. But that tub of water was not changed uh, through the night. So you can imagine uh, it just gets so, so dirty. So um, to come into Stonewall, there's a bouncer who looked at you through a peephole. And the visitors either had to be known to the bouncer or they had mm-hmm. to, quote unquote, look gay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, okay. The, the entrance fee is three bucks, which Kathleen gets you two drinks. What a great well, deal, even though it's a really right? dirty glass. <laughs> you just hang on to your glass all night and hope it was okay. Yeah. Um, three bucks. Have... I'm going to convert and find out what three bucks were from 1969, what they are today. You, I, I'd actually love to know. Um, yeah. So you sign a book when you come in because it's technically a private club, as I said before, mm-hmm. but nobody signs their own name. Like, it's full of, like, Minnie Mouse and, <laughs> like, Dorothy Gale. Like, it's really full of all totally fake names. Women's names, it sounds like, yeah. And it's actually, I mean, I said largely it's a gay men's bar, but there's actually a decent mix. Uh, oh, of, okay. There's some lesbians that definitely go to the bar. As I said, mm-hmm. drag queens. Mm. Uh, and in this, to prep you for, I mean, there's a raid on the bar that night, but mm. there are raids at once a month. There mm-hmm. would, you know, as I said, they knew when it was coming. The lights came on. Uh, when the cops came in, the patrons all line against the wall. They check your ID. Anyone, mm-hmm. drag queens were generally... Best behavior. Yeah. yeah. Drag queens are always arrested. Uh, mm. Women who weren't wearing three items of feminine attire were arrested. Mm-hmm. Three items of feminine attire? Uh-huh. Well, that's why the drag, queens, the drag queens were arrested because they weren't wearing three items of Master men's clothing. Uh, no, your bra doesn't count. Your bra doesn't count? What do you need? No, like, a, like a bow in your hair? Yeah, that could actually be. People would do, you could have a bow in your hair, and that could be one item of feminine, feminine attire. Oh my gosh. Um, all the employees and management are always arrested, but they know when it's coming, and mm. they actually, so they can get the, the bar, like, going, like, right again. There's a car mm-hmm. parked down the street the night they know the <laughs> is coming that's full of liquor, <laughs> so that uh-huh. when, when the cops go away, they can come back in with more liquor and get the party started again. Wow. Wow. But, um, as I said, as we said before, this is summer. It's hot outside. People are not happy. Mm -hmm. I'm sure the bar is not air conditioned. I I guarantee it. (laughs) I guarantee it. And uh, there had actually been for more for one reason or another, there were actually more riot, more uh, sorry, not riots. There were more raids at this time than usual. Mm. So this was actually a surprise raid. Nobody knew this was coming. I'm sure some people. So surprise raids basically never happened because of their system with the mafia or was rare and 
disastrous, it, but but it, it just really wasn't it wasn't done. I mean, maybe it was okay. occasionally, but generally, no. They were paid. The cops okay. were paid not to do these surprise riots. And why would you end right. up paying the cops if they're just going to go against what you want them to do? Yeah, yeah. It's a great way for a cop to get in a lot of trouble very fast. Right. So much like the last riot, this goes on for days. This kind of keeps going. So the so the real thing is that no one was able to prepare for it, and and that's and and it was hot and inflamed passions and whatnot. And it's that hot. Is why this day, as opposed to some other raid, triggered the riot. I've also heard some people saying, you know, we were just tired. We were. I heard yeah, somebody comparing it. it to. Um, I read a quote how someone compared it to Rosa Parks sitting down on the bus, where they were just mm-hmm. like, "I'm tired. I don't want to no, deal with this anymore." I'm done. Yeah. You know. But um, as as we now know about Rosa Parks, is there was a considerable organization behind that, and and uh, it was planned, and you know, yeah. they were like, someday, soon, we're gonna. We're going to make a stink about this back of the bus thing and we're going to let whatever happens happens. And, mm-hmm. you know, they were they were organized and ready for it. So right. was that a similar situation with Stonewall? Like, no, our the, situation were, sucks. This has to change. Let's let's I figure think out how happened, we're going to change. The movement this. had been building for a while that things mm-hmm. have to change. They've been trying to do it um, politically. Nothing was happening of course. peacefully. Nothing was changing. So I think it was just. It's a group of people who are just tired of being shit on all the time. Hey, I cursed uh-huh. on this one. You cursed on this one. Also, it's kind of well known. Judy Garland had just uh-huh. died, uh, and her funeral oh. had just happened. So that's not the reason the riots happened. But I've <laughs> okay. often, often heard that as a kind of the precipitating straw factor. that broke the camel's back or really a lit I've, match thrown you know i've never heard of that wow that's, you've never heard that's that yeah kind of <laughs> she had sadly sad we had just weird. lost judy garland yeah wow so the night of the riot hmm. saturday july 28th 1969 mm-hmm. two undercover cops um two undercover men and two under undercover women, all cops, were in the bar already. They're, they've been there for a while. Mm-hmm. And the idea was go into the bar, see what's going on. When you start to see something illegal, mm-hmm. use the payphone, call for backup. So they call for backup. Yeah. And the sixth precinct shows up. So wow, as usual. Bloody six. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. the lights get turned up. Music goes off. Yeah. But the raid doesn't go as planned. Like, usually they line up, they take your ID, they take the drag queens, they take mm-hmm. all the liquor, they're gone. And then anybody who's still there, either keep partying or go home. Mm-hmm. So instead, what usually happens is the female officers will take the patrons dressed as women into the restroom to verify mm-hmm. their sex. Yeah. And then anyone who's a man is going to be arrested. But people start refusing. They're like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going with you. I'm, and everyone, every people are like, I'm not showing you. Once the drag queens start being like, I'm not going, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. The men in the line start saying, I'm not showing you my ID. So the police yeah. are just like, you know what? We're just going to take all of you in. <laughs> yeah. You, you guys fine. are all Make arrested. my job easier. That's fine. Yeah. So this, you can see this kind of snowballing. Reports say that police start assaulting the lesbians um, mm. and I'm quoting this by feeling them up inappropriately while they're frisking them oh, God. 
while that's going on, all the alcohol is going out the door. Um, now, the problem is they weren't really organized. The police wagons weren't, the wagons to arrest people weren't outside the door. Like, they should have been. Mm-hmm. Like, the riot wouldn't have happened if they could have just taken all the people out into the wagon and gone, like they usually mm-hmm. do. But they had mm-hmm. to wait 15 minutes for these. Uh-oh. Someone hit traffic. And history Yeah, they hit traffic. I don't, they're just not organized. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, those who are not arrested are... Mm-hmm. Let they're like go get out the front door. They start pushing them out the front door. Anybody's being arrested is is in the bar still. Mm-hmm. So instead of like running off like they like they usually would, mm-hmm. uh, they stayed, and nice. then they stay, and then so the they're crowd... in front of the bar on the street, and they're not exactly moving. blocking the street. It turns into a crowd of up to 150 people. <sighs> so it it grows really. Word gets out and it grows. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the cars show up when the wagons show up the first people who get arrested are the mafia and then the regular employees are the first people because they run the bar so they would be the first people arrested so they're they're thrown in but you've still got all these people who are supposed to be arrested that they don't have room for Uh uh and then they did the mafia because they're the really dangerous people or because they're they were presumed to be the leaders or because they're the leaders because they own the bar yeah so they're running this illegal establishment so they're Mm -hmm. the ones that are taken first so in the crowd rumors start to spread that the patrons inside the bar are being beaten (sighs) and so i don't know where all these pennies come from but people start throwing pennies and beer bottles at the cops the cops now are people inside being beaten or that was just rumors well people do come out like they've been beaten but they never know in the end if it was the cops or the mob or the not the mob not the mafia but the the rioters like yeah it kind of becomes this all-out assault at some point and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're i I think they probably were being beaten by the cops but Mm -hmm. that's that's my opinion and not a historical fact okay so the real they more wagons show up and the real fight this is when it kind of sparks is a woman in handcuffs is hit on the head by a billy club on her way into the wagon uh she starts to fight back uh-huh. and then as she's being beaten she turns to the audi- the bystanders and says why don't you guys do something and then she's shoved into the wagon and that's when the crowd just loses it and it becomes nice. a mob and goes violent. The cops pull people out of wagons. They start to overturn the vehicles. They slash tires. Yeah. Somebody shouts that the reason the cops, the reason for the raid is the cops weren't paid off. So people shout, mm. somebody shouts in return, let's pay them off. And they start throwing more pennies at them. Ah, the okay. Um, the cops barricade themselves in the bar. Somebody mm-hmm. actually takes a parking meter and starts mm-hmm. using it as a battering ram. How they got the <gasps> parking meter out of the ground, I have no idea. <gasps> wow. They really they start. It. Yeah, they start lighting garbage cans on fire and throwing the refuse that's on fire and throwing mm-hmm. the garbage cans that are on fire through the windows. <gasps> this goes on for about 45 minutes. Backup <sighs> takes 45 minutes to show up. What is with the traffic in this town? I guess. Uh, the cops try to break up the riot and they're like mm-hmm. forming a line and pushing. 
they figure if they can get the crowd away from the bar and in mm-hmm. further away that it'll just start to break up. So yeah. they are pushing back the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, this is probably the only instance of there being a kick line during a riot. <laughs> There's nice. a kick line that's formed, and to the tune of Howdy Doody, which I'm not going to sing, but I'll tell you no. what they say. They say, we are the Stonewall Girls, we wear our hair in curls, we don't wear underwear, we show our pubic hair. Oh, boy. As they're kick lining. The cops start, just run at the kick line and start <laughs> beating them. Uh, the crowds also do run after the cops, you know, screaming, get them, catch them. Uh-huh. This is really, I mean, if you've been in this area in Greenwich Village, this is Greenwich Village, right? Yeah, yeah. The streets kind of go every which way, so... It's twisty. Cops yep. would chase people around one corner, and then the, the blocks are pretty short, so mm-hmm. all of a sudden they'd be going around one corner, and the people they were chasing would already be behind them. So uh-huh, it's a uh-huh. maze, it kind of spreads out for blocks. And if you know it, you can use it to your advantage, but it's, exactly. it's definitely tricky. Exactly. So this definitely goes on for a while. Uh, 13 people were arrested. Four cops were injured. Stonewall is destroyed at this point. Uh-huh. It's, it's wrecked. It's been burned. It's been, it's, it's really bad. Uh, but uh-huh. people do go home. However, they show up the next night and start rioting again. Oh. Uh, a thousand, somehow the bar is open. Like, I'm sure there's no window. There's no door. Right. But the bar is Probably open. no liquor, yeah. Probably, well, the mob probably showed up with some more. Maybe. Thousands of people show up. <gasps> yeah. Crowds <laughs> surge around cars and buses and refuse to let them pass unless they either admit they're gay uh-huh. or admit their support for... Wow. ...the gay rights movement, <laughs> which I really love. There are, again, fires in garbage cans. And it's around 2 a.m. The cops start arresting people. I mean, can you imagine? Because 2 a.m. cops start arresting people. And the street battling goes on until 4 a.m. Why did the cops wait so long to arrest people? I have no... How could you possibly know? I mean, I'm guessing they're... I guess they, like, are trying to maybe, like, quell the riot at first. And then arresting the... Anyway. uh, Yeah. There, so it's, it does rain much like the, uh, the draft riots that we just talked mm-hmm. about, but it, of course, it doesn't really, it quells the riots for a couple days. Mm-hmm. So Monday and Tuesday, this, this, that was just the weekend. That was Saturday and Sunday. So Monday and Tuesday, there's a bit of sporadic, um, protesting and riots, but it's raining, so people don't really, it doesn't get out of control like before. Aren't we a funny species? It's just water, but it's enough to, to keep us, us in. Uh, Even I if was going to riot Really, tonight, really but... mad. <laughs> yeah. So. There's one last riot that goes along with the Stonewall riots, and mm. the Village Voice, which I think of as a very liberal newspaper today, which mm-hmm. can I remember moving here mostly because I loved my I love my Savage Love, and that was how yeah. I got my Savage Love when I first moved here. Definitely. There's We're one last fans. There's one last riot. Uh, the Village Voice actually runs reports of the riots, and uh, the article is by Howard Smith and Lucian Truscott. They mm-hmm. To quote what they said about the riots, they called them forces of faggotry, <laughs> limp wrists, 
and Sunday <gasps> Fay Follies. So this is all in the village voice, oh. kind of making fun of the riots. So the mob descends on Christopher Street and threatens to burn down the offices of the village voice. Damn right. Wow. It lasts, it lasts about an hour. There's uh, anywhere, you know, it kind of varies 500 to 1,000 people. This is where it, it kind of gets, I mean, before it was really them against the police. Uh, mm-hmm. At this time, there's a bit of looting in local stores. Mm-hmm. Only five people are arrested. What? Uh, That's great. Yeah, I know. But I do love their, like, really village voice? Really? Okay. <laughs> we'll see you tonight. <laughs> Uh, so that's, that's kind of the end of the riots, but it's not the end. It really sparks the movement. A -hmm. year later, uh, is the first gay rights march. Uh, Mm. and every year since in New York City, we have the parade, the gay parade Mm -hmm. every Mm -hmm. year. And the, it was actually the year after, uh, the Stonewall riots to commemorate it. It was the same, the Central Park to, the Westville to the Greenwich, to Greenwich Village, right in front of Stonewall. Mm-hmm. It was it's the same as it had been for years. It's, it's was they shortened the route now, but for years mm-hmm. that was the same route. And it was the very first mart gay rights gay pride march in U.S. history. Oh. And it really this riot really becomes a, a literal example of queer people fighting back for their rights mm-hmm. rather than just being trampled over. Mm-hmm. And it's really it's a call to arms. For the entire nation. Wow. And it worked. It worked. Somewhat, it worked. Somewhat, mostly, basically, it worked. It worked. It worked. And, wow. you know, I'm really on the side of the rioters on this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm not it, always on the side of rioters, but this one, I'm, I'm on the side of the rioters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what are we, 43 years after the fact? Yeah. Uh, a generation plus? Wow. Amazing how, I mean... It's it's sad that it took so long, but really fifty years we've we in our election that just passed, we had all the states that came out pro gay marriage. It really gives mm-hmm. hope, so Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Plenty more progress to be made, of course. That's how you start. Well, wow. let's go to a slightly sadder riot now, Kathleen. Sadder? Sadder? Well how do they this was people died. That's true. I feel like a riot is sad when people die. Oh, no one, Even though, no one died in Stonewall, huh? Yeah. No, nobody died. Okay. Nobody died. People got probably beat really badly. Oh, I'm sure. Maybe even died from injuries after the fact. But, but yeah, now that you mention it, no one died. All right. Then, yes, our third riot to discuss is the Crown Heights riot. And this was, <clears throat> we've gone in uh, chronological order. This was in 1991 in August. Three days, August 19th to 21st in 1991. So, yeah, summer bad time to be disgruntled and bad time for cops to start pushing their luck. Really not a... That, that's my advice to cops and disgruntled people. Um, August 19 to 21. And this is in the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn. So at the time and now, uh, Crown Heights residents were and are predominantly African American and Hasidic Jewish. This is specifically the Lubavitch sect of uh, Hasidic Judaism. So the rioting was kicked off. It began after seven-year-old Gavin Cato. We'll we'll put a picture on Facebook. This kid was so adorable. This is incredibly so sad. Uh, yeah. Gavin Cato, See, who was son of uh, Guyanese immigrants, was accidentally struck and killed by a car driven by Yosef Lifsch. And that was at 8.30 p.m. on August 19th. Um, 
So there's a lot of conflicting reports, but no one denies that this was an accident. This was, he lost control of the car. Um, you know, he might have gone through a yellow or red light. There was, it, it was definitely a bad thing that happened, but this was an accident, a horrible Terrible accident, accident, but an accident nonetheless. Um, I I read that he thought he had the right of way because he's part of a being, he's part of a, he's the very, the tail end of a police escorted motorcade and he'd kind of fallen behind. So he Mm -hmm. thought he had the right of way to just like go through this light. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But he had fallen behind and another car came through and he hit the car and his car went out of control and um, like hit a a post and then kind of ran alongside a wall and he struck two little kids. It was Gavin Cato and also his cousin, Angela Cato. Um, So he hits these kids. He gets out of the car. He said he wanted to try to help Gavin and, and Angela Cato out from under the car. And the bystanders started beating him up because he killed this little boy and, and injured this little girl. A volunteer ambulance arrived from the Hatzola Ambulance Corps. This is a private ambulance corps. Um, Jewish-owned, but they, they take care of anyone, everyone. Uh, they arrived on the scene three minutes later. They were followed shortly after by cops in a city ambulance. Now, this so. is where there's always, when you look at this, the info on this riot, mm-hmm. there's so much back and forth on what happened. So, mm-hmm, like how mm-hmm. you just said that he had gotten out of the car to help the kid. However, mm-hmm. the EMS that you just said that arrived on the scene a, a few minutes later said that he was actually being pulled out of the station wagon and being beaten. That, That's the thing. I mean, if he said he got out to help and maybe then people started the beating car? them up. Yeah, I mean, you can you can pull someone out of the car. It can happen. This all, all probably happened within a minute and a half or less, you know. But uh, But yeah, at any rate, when... These ambulances and the cops arrived in the scene. They saw the driver getting beaten and two critically injured or killed little kids. So, yeah, and this and this all, you know, there's a lot of conflicting reports. So I'm telling you basically what I, as best I could find, was accurate and, and was, you know, later eventually agreed upon by our par- all parties was most likely what happened. But, you know, so we're at this point where there's the Hatzola Ambulance Corps, you've got cops, and you've got a city ambulance. The city ambulance takes Gavin Cato to Kings County Hospital. He is pronounced dead there. While Gavin Cato is being removed from under the car, and Lifsch is getting beaten by bystanders, the police directed the Hatzola driver, the other ambulance, to remove Lish for his own safety. So we'll get to how this was perceived by the bystanders in a minute. Um, yeah, meanwhile, volunteers from the second, a second Hatzola ambulance had arrived. And those people are helping Angela Cato. And they help her until a second city ambulance arrives and takes her to Kings County Hospital as well. So she turned out injured, but she did survive the, the accident. Um, the New York Times says a crowd of 250 neighborhood residents, mostly teenagers, were jeering the driver of the car. And then they turned their anger onto the police. Many were shouting, Jew, Jew, Jew. And community members were outraged. So African-American community members, this is immediately after the car accident, rumors started flying and they are pissed off for the following reasons. One, Lifsch was taken from the scene first and in a private ambulance. 
And this is while city workers were still trying to free the children who were pinned under the car. Regardless of what the explanation was, I can totally understand how that looks really, really bad. Yeah. Um, some falsely believed that Gavin Cato died because the Hatzala ambulance crews were unwilling to help non-Jews. Not true. A rumor, but, you know, if this is what you're hearing, that is outrageous. Another fake rumor that Lipsch was drunk that was disproven. Uh, they gave him a al- breath alcohol test. He wasn't drunk. There were a bunch of other wrong rumors, uh, including Lipsch didn't have a driver's license, that he was using a cell phone while driving, um, and that the police prevented people, including Gavin Cato's father, from assisting in the rescue, from trying to help get the, the kid out from under the car. So mm-hmm. later that evening, rumors are flying crowds are growing people are pissed and as people do in riots they throw bottles and rocks bottles are Mm. like handy you know that's a handy weapon it's heavy you got them around they break into a million pieces razor blades basically yeah so people are throwing bottles and rocks at about 11 p.m someone reportedly shouts let's go to kingston avenue and get a jew so oh, no. a number of black youths went to Kingston Avenue. This is a street of predominantly Jewish uh, residential uh, area. It was several blocks away from them. They're vandalizing cars and throwing rocks and bottles on the way. So even before this accident happened and even before this riot started, a lot of the African-Americans in Crown Heights saw this as just another example of preferential treatment given to the white people. Like how mm-hmm. Lyft was removed from the scene first. I mean, they, you know, they had a perception, which was actually later proven false, perception that like cops and city services and government funding and like a lot of stuff was just favoring the Hasidic right. population because they were white as opposed to the African-American population in Crown Heights. So there was already, you know, not 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 friendly situation here. And this just sort of locked everything into place. This sort of confirmed everything that they had already already thought. Um, and on the other hand, many Jews believed, well, b- Jews believed the perceptions of unequal treatment was wrong, and there were actually studies about this that proved that there was no preferential treatment. And they felt that this quote-unquote preferential treatment allegation was just a cover-up for anti-Semitism. And um, one important point is a historian at Brown University, Edward Shapiro, later referred to these riots as the most serious anti-Semitic incident in American history. Hmm. So anyway, back to that night. So it's three hours after the accident. A group of about 20 young black men surrounded a 29-year-old Australian Jew, Yankel Rosenbaum. He was a doctoral student. Uh, he was University of Melbourne, but he was here doing some research for his uh, degree. They stabbed him several times and beat him severely, and this fractured his skull. He identified a 16-year-old Lemnick Nelson Jr. He picked him out of a lineup before he died from his injuries. So then uh-huh. Nelson was charged with murder. He was acquitted but later convicted of violating Rosenbaum's civil rights, and eventually he did admit that he stabbed Rosenbaum. So for three days, numerous African-Americans and Caribbean-Americans in Crown Heights, joined by lots and lots of non-residents, people coming into the neighborhood, rioted. Just a riot? Wow. Yeah. uh, Yeah, I I actually read something that at least half of the rioters weren't even from Crown Heights. They weren't. They didn't even live in Crown Heights. Yeah, they, they... commuted 
to the riot. For the riot, yeah. They brought their own beer bottles. Which makes me think that a lot of this, a lot of these tensions, a lot of these allegations, a lot of this perceived preferential treatment was probably not just Crown Heights. A lot of this was probably common to African-American or Caribbean-American community. And people were like, yeah, this sucks. I'm helping out. Well, it sucks because the rioters are able to actually, they know which homes are Jewish homes by Mm -hmm. the mezuzah. Mezuzah. It's on your front door, and they're able to figure out who lives where by that, and mm-hmm. really go into homes and just destroy everything. Yeah, yeah. So over these three days, the rioters injured Jews. They looted stores. They damaged cars and homes. Um, they marched through Crown Heights. They were carrying anti-Semitic signs. They burned an Israeli flag. Uh, they threw bricks and bottles at the police. They fired shots at the police. police wow. They uh, they threw you know rocks and bottles at police cars. They overturned police cars, including the police commissioner's car. Wow. Yeah. So on the first day, 350 cops were sent to Crown Heights to quell the rioting. Then they had to send 1,200 more cops to quell wow. the rioting. But the rioting was so bad. At one point, 200 cops had to flee for their own safety. That's amazing. This is one group. This wasn't like, you know, random scattered cops throughout the neighborhood. This is a group of 200 cops had to turn and run. No, I, I just feel like it's, I'm imagining this like vast number of cops and imagining how many more riotous there are and mm-hmm. imagining, and I know how big Crown Heights is, so mm-hmm. I don't know where all these people are going. It must have <laughs> spilled out into like other neighborhoods because... That's just not huge, an right? amazing number of people in an yeah. area. Yeah. And by August 22nd, when it was over, more than 1,800 officers wow. had been dispatched to Crown Heights. 1,800. You're right. It's not a big neighborhood. This is... Not for that number of people. And I know the cops. I mean, imagine you know, there's all this writing going on. You can't get in in a car. They're just going to flip your car. So mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. mostly were on horseback and motorcycle. Right. Horses and motorcycle. Yeah. Which is also a very vulnerable place to be. It is easy to knock someone off a motorcycle it is easy to throw a bottle at someone on a horse or at the freaking horse i mean i know poor horse i know i feel so bad for the horse and the humans this is a sad riot unlike all the other ones all all riots Uh, are sad yeah all riots are sad to an extent yeah when the three days of rioting ended 152 police officers and 38 civilians were injured 22 vehicles were destroyed seven stores were looted and burned there were 225 cases of robbery and burglary, and wow. they arrested 129 people. 122 were black, 7 were white. Property damage was estimated at $1 million. Wow. And there was a very tragic follow-up. So this is, this is weeks afterwards. Let me get the dates again. This was August 19 to 21. On September 5th, that's two whole weeks later... Four black men shot and killed Anthony Graziosi in his car. So Anthony Graziosi is an an Italian-American businessman. He was wearing a dark business suit. He had a white beard. Many believe that his resemblance to a Hasidic Jew precipitated his murder, but some people disagreed, and uh, it was not prosecuted as a biased crime. Mm. So a grand jury found no reason to indict Lifsch. You know, they... He had it. He waived immunity to testify. He t- 
talked and talked and talked. He told them everything that happened. They examined the, the photos. They interviewed people. And they found that he just lost control of a car, which isn't criminal negligence, even if you injure or kill someone. You just lost control of a car, which is sad and tragic and horrible yeah. and destructive, but not murder or even manslaughter. Um, mm. So even though he was... I guess off the hook, he wasn't indicted. He moved to Israel because there were death threats and, and he lives there now. Mayor David Dinkins left the entire city really unimpressed with how he handled this. Oh, he yeah. he shat the bed, if you will, because this is our swearing podcast. He messed this one up big time. He hesitated to deploy the cops as they were needed. Maybe... Some people are thinking because he was elected uh, as a peacemaker. He sort of had this this image that he wanted to maintain. His comment on this, Mayor, why didn't you send more cops in as soon as the rioting happened? His response was, he initially didn't send cops in because, quote, the community needed to be allowed to vent. Wow. I think when the venting comes to rioting, that's not a healthy venting behavior they're not punching a pillow you know they're they're beating up people they could be killing people they are killing people you send the cops in don't let them vent if they're rioting that's not venting that's crime on an astronomical scale he didn't want the police to intervene he thought there's a chance the police would escalate the rioting which i guess is a remotely possible but Stupid. Uh, and this was a disastrous strategy. So David Dinkins did not win re-election. He was running against a certain young man named Rudy Giuliani. Hmm. Giuliani called the riots a pogrom because for three days people were beaten up. People were sent to the hospital because they were Jewish. There is no question that not enough was done by the city of New York. That was Giuliani, who later beat Dinkins for the mayorship by over 44,000 votes. Dinkins lost a lot of supporters with this. Now, wow. the interesting thing, the... I, I hate the term silver lining, but the one slightly good thing, race relations at Crown Heights began to improve almost immediately after the rioting. Wow. It's, it's a little bit striking how fast people got onto fixing this. Uh, Brooklyn Borough President Howard Golden summoned the leaders of each of the ethnic communities to Borough Hall, and he created the Crown Heights Coalition. So the coalition functioned for 10 years as an intergroup forum to air neighborhood concerns and work out issues. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, and that both groups were like, yes, my yes, let's do this. This has to happen. Golden used the coalition. He initiated a bunch of interracial projects designed to promote dialogue. One, which I think was a really cool idea, is uh, a Jewish leader and an African-American leader would pair up and go and speak in public schools. And they would answer questions that children have about each other's cultures. And, I mean, just to see these two groups working together, you know, is, is huge. And this is 20 years later, and yeah, it's it's... Stuff is better now, and there's a lot of a lot of good pictures we'll put on Facebook, but um, but things have improved considerably after these. So it's it's a sad one. It's really sad. It's it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's definitely a very dark period. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and we're not done with riots. I'm sure. I'm sure there's 
more to be had in the future. Yeah. If you if there's a specific riot that you wish we'd covered, um, you can always let us know. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we possibly go through the alphabet again next time around, you could, you know, let us know. We actually, if there are things in this time around that, I know we're not at the end of the alphabet yet, but mm-hmm. if there are things that we kind of missed and maybe we'll do like a, a request show where we'll mm-hmm. kind of... Tell us, you know, a, something we missed on a letter that you'd like to know. I think we we definitely got a few of those this time around, and oh, we have yeah. a few letters. You know how badly I wanted up. to do rats, but we really wanted to do riots. Yeah, yeah maybe rats will be. Oh, that's gonna be such a gross. <laughs> but yeah, like Nellie Bly, we didn't really get to talk about her as much as I'd like, and mm-hmm. well, no, you know, there's a lot nostalgic. of topics, We're and even, even just on this one, there's a lot of riots and a lot of important political stuff. That yeah. we just can't get to. This is already a mega episode. And, uh, you know, we want to keep things moving along for you. But definitely let us know if you have an idea or uh, a request or input, anything. Definitely, yes, definitely let us know. Get in touch. Let us know on Facebook. If you hear any errors in any of these, we're the amateur podcast. There's going to be errors. Let us know. We've heard far fewer reports about errors than I frankly expected when we started this, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Either we're on top of it or people are, are more polite than, than I give them credit for. Definitely let us know if we mess up something. Yeah. Well, before this podcast ends, I would really, I know we've gotten a lot of new listeners based on the fact that we had kind of a shout out on um, the How Stuff Works Stuff You Missed in History class, which is mm-hmm. my favorite one of my favorite podcasts besides mm-hmm. this thank one. Thank you so much for their shout so out. Thank you so much to Sarah and Dublina. We love your show and it's you guys really model. influenced us. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. and thanks to everyone who has been leaving us amazing iTunes uh, reviews. We really, mm-hmm. really appreciate it. Make sure you like us on Facebook mm-hmm. and uh, keep listening. We've got, you know, still to the end of the alphabet and mm-hmm. like we've been hinting all along, we do have an event planned for the end of the alphabet, so we're hoping yes. we see a lot of you there when we yes, the Z party set it up. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you learned something you hadn't known before. Um, Kate, thank you very, very much. Yeah. Thanks, Kathleen. And we will talk to you all next time. Yep. See you next time. Bye. For more ABC Gotham, go to our website abcgotham.podbean.com Special thanks to Podcasting's Brock. The music for ABC Gotham is by Big Rude Jake. ABC Gotham is a K2 production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. With me on this night of New York City. Property damage. <gasps> <coughs> oh, excuse me. Bless you. Property damage.